0: I want to welcome all of you across our network. Thanks for being here on this, the fourth week of our Game of Life series. A journey where we're positioning ourselves to navigate the choices we make in life. Because whether they're easy or hard, those choices put us us on a path moving forward. And we're taking time to understand how we can live and move in a way that, that honors God in all of our decisions. And we're using the Game of Life to help us do that. Because it's in the game of life that we we pick a car, we put our appropriate pink or blue person in it, and then we have our very first decision, the decision to start a career or to start college. Start a career or start college. Now if we choose start college, we'll have more career options, have more salary, but also takes longer, have more debt, and we're trying to make a decision on how we win the game when we play the game of life. We end up having to spin and move, and there's some things that we have to do, some things we can do, and then there are things that we can't do because of decisions we've already made along the way. Much of that's similar to real life. But in the game of life, the way you win is to have the most money at the end, and that's not what real life is about. And that's not the only distinction between a game of life and real life. See, in both scenarios, we have crossroad moments where we make decisions that that set a trajectory forward. But in the game of life, it's more based on odds. It's based on the spinner. It's based on what other people do. And it's really based on our best guess. But real life is not a guessing game. It's a listening process. See, if, if you follow Jesus today, he is your Lord and Savior. You have predetermined to obey him then. And you are positioned not to decide things, but to discern things. Life is about His direction. In fact, life is about not deciding, but discerning. It's not about deciding, but discerning. That's your first fill in if you're tracking along in your sermon note guide. We're positioned to discern everything, not really decide much of anything. See, we started this journey by looking at a, a concept that lays a foundation for this whole game of life conversation that no matter who we are, when we walk with Jesus, we live in attention. The tension between certainty and uncertainty, what is known or unknown, the seen or unseen. We all live in this tension. But, but God wants us, through a relationship with Jesus, to live in a posture of dependence, which is a place of trust. It's a place that God shows up, and every time we obey, the Lord shows more of who He is to us. He wants us to live in a posture of dependence, But when we drift in the uncertainty of life and embrace doubt, we can end up in a posture of insecurity that's really rooted in fear. And that is a place of independence. On the flip side, when we're certain and we're confident, we can run and demand something of God in our arrogance. And that's a posture rooted in pride, which is also living in independence. But God wants us to live in a place of dependence. Where he can work and move and and really position us to have certainty amidst the uncertainty of life. He doesn't remove the tension. He asks us to live in a posture where we can have certainty amidst uncertainty. With that dependence and a focus on him. Now this seems simple enough, but we can get sideways in this pretty fast. Even Moses did. When Moses went from being in a posture of dependence to this side over here in arrogant pride when he chose to kill the Egyptian. He's like, I'm going to be the deliverer of the people of God. He moved over here independently. And then in his fear and what he did, he flip-flopped over here and ran to Midian. Pharaoh started out over here. He was fearful of how numerous the Israelites were. And so he oppressed them with work. And then he got so arrogant in it, he ordered the death of all Hebrew male babies. We can flip-flop back and forth. But God wants us to live in a posture of dependence. Now, here's the thing. Although becoming a Christian is optional... Although although following Jesus as Lord and Savior is optional, obedience afterward is not. Therefore, we're positioned to discern, not decide. We're positioned to listen and obey. So the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we sit in a posture of dependence? How do we sit in His presence? How do we sit in stillness? How do we hear His voice? Because if we can't hear His voice, we can't discern. And if we can't discern, we don't know how to live, love, or lead. This is why we're taking some time to look at a few moments in the life of Moses. To understand how we can live here and avoid drifting or running and demanding on either the left or the right. We started this process in Exodus chapter 1. And, and we're going to be in Exodus today. We're going to finish out our series going through, hitting numbers and then land, landing in Deuteronomy. But we're going to be in Exodus today. We're going to really kind of walk through like chapters 5 to 14. So it's a huge chunk of scripture. But let me tell you, it's all the same focus. It's God's activities interacting with people to see if they're going to decide to choose independence or dependence. And let me just frame a bit of where we've been to this point in case you haven't been tracking with the journey. See, Moses started with 40 years of preparation in Egypt. God spared him from death at birth, positioned him with influence and prominence in Egypt, and then Moses chose independence. He jumped to the left, to the right, and, in, and he settled in a place where he killed the Egyptian. That led him in a, a sequence where he fled out of fear, another posture of independence, and into another season of another 40 years of relearning and reteaching, and learning dependence once again, until God, in a burning bush moment, places a calling on Moses' life. And in that moment Moses can set aside the junk of his past and he, in a posture of dependence choose to chase out of in a in a position of holiness chase the things of God without excuses. We saw and talked through those last week but Moses is going to struggle. We're going to see this this week uh, with excuses. But he's stepping in this Exodus 3 4 and 5 moment it transitions to the another 40 year window, the last third of his life. See Moses is 80. Spent 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert, and he's now going to spend 40 more years actually living out the posture of dependence. Now, for us, in our average lifespan expectancy, is 75 to 80 years, so maybe you can think of this in terms of being 50. And if you're 50 today and you're still here, once you know God's not done with you. (laughs) And if you're younger than 50 and you're still here, God's not done with you either. (laughs) But sometimes when we're older, we think we're not important and God isn't trying to use us. It's not true. It's a lie. Just in another season, and Moses was in another season. Another season where God is going to work and move. In fact, he starts that season by sending Moses' brother, Aaron, who was three years his senior. So Moses is 80 and Aaron is 83. Out into the wilderness to find Moses. And Moses says, look, here's what God did. Here's what he said. Here are the signs. And, and Aaron's all on board. And so they go and they gather the leaders, the elders of Israel. And they have this moment. And it's in Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 29. It says, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. Now, this is huge for me. Originally, God wanted to use Moses, but because Moses chose independence, he had to go through a retraining process. But still, when God called Moses into the next, he hesitates, even at the burning bush a bit. And so, he ends up positioning Aaron. And so, he's speaking through who now? Not Moses. He's speaking through who? Aaron. Because it's now in a posture where Aaron's living in a place of dependence, where it's about God and not Aaron. Previously, when Moses killed the Egyptian, it was about Moses and not God. And the people didn't believe it the first time when Moses tried to do it in his own independence, but now they believe it when it's all about who God is and what he's doing. And so here's what happens. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. This, this is a great moment. It's a powerful moment, but everything is about to get a lot more difficult. The struggle is going to increase. The battle is going to intensify because every time we chase after the things of God, every time we move in obedience with God, the battle gets more intense. And in this case, it was through Pharaoh that that happens because Pharaoh decides to say, look, I'm not going to provide straw for you anymore. You got to go get your own straw, but you still have to produce the same number of bricks. So the workload and intensity around the people of Israel increased significantly. The beatings increased and the people start to waver because we all drift towards comfort. Yet everything about following God, being a warrior in his kingdom, Living as a disciple on mission is about voluntarily sacrificing our comfort. God does not call us to comfort. He calls us to dependence. He calls us to purpose. He doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to be impactful. And if you're living in a season in your life right now where you feel really, really comfortable, it could be a good indicator that you have drifted left or right into a place of independence. Because there's always a struggle when we chase the things of God and living in a place of dependence challenges our comfort. Now in this dynamic, when the workload increased and the people started to suffer under that, it was all part of the plan to position God's people to want God more than their comfort. He understood how they thought and functioned. He wanted them to be dependent. And so he was positioning them to want him more than their comfort. You may think, was that really necessary to create suffering for them to, to do that? Like, absolutely. Because the moment they start to hit that trouble and that hardship, they complain. Exodus 5 verse 21, they turn to Moses and they blame him and they complain. that there's like, this is horrible, this is awful, what's going on? And then verse 22, Moses even tips that way himself. And he actually turns to God and he says, what's the deal? Where are you? Did you send me here for this? Ever since I came and spoke to Pharaoh, he has been, he's just been making your people suffer and you haven't rescued them yet. I mean, this is really an awkward moment because Moses is venting and he's not lamenting where he's just saying, Lord, how long? He's complaining. And that's a dangerous place to be. And God goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold the phone. Back up the bus, bro. Actually, no, he doesn't actually say that, but he does recalibrate the conversation. Here's what he says in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6, 7, and 8. He says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob I will give it to you as a possession I am the Lord Whew. This is one of those oh snap moments for Moses I mean you, you got to understand something in in 3 verses God says I 11 times He's declaring his authority. He's declaring his identity. And I know in this moment, it had to take, hearken Moses back to that moment where he said, I'm going to be the deliverer. I'm going to kill the Egyptian and I'll set the people free. And I think this harkens back to that moment. And, and God's saying, look, not you, Moses, it's me. I will do it. And I will do it in my power. I will do it in my strength. Now, Moses turns around and he tells the people these words, but they don't believe Because in verse nine, it says, because of their discouragement and hard labor. So you remember, we tend to drift towards comfort. But here's the thing about comfort. It tends to influence how well we listen. In fact, comfort and discomfort both challenge or influence how well we listen. We we end up not paying attention, We, we end up distracted. If you've ever been stung by a bee, Right? The only thing you're thinking about is that sting and that bee and not getting stung again if there's more bees. You're just reacting to it. If you're in a place of comfort, you're, you're chilling on the couch. You're zoned out. You're not paying attention to anything else around you. Comfort and discomfort both challenge our ability to listen and obey. That's why certainty and uncertainty is, is a prime space to live in a posture of Dependence. It's why God doesn't remove the tension between certainty and uncertainty. Because if he removed it, we would think we don't need him and we wouldn't live in a posture of dependence. We already struggle when we know we need it. It's a prime space to live in a posture of dependence. And our level of comfort influences how well we listen. And we tend not to listen when we're comfortable and uncomfortable. Anyway, what God does in this, he responds in verse 11 in chapter 6. He says, Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So, they go, but before that, Moses is like, hey, I, I have stuttering lips. I'm faltering lips. I, I, and God says, fine, then take Aaron. Aaron's going to speak for you. And, which, again, I find fascinating because it's in Acts chapter 7, verse 22. It says, Moses was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt, and he was strong in speech and action. But after 40 years in the desert, the dude's changed. After a journey of brokenness, he's changed. And in our journey of brokenness, where we've made mistakes or we've experienced pain, we can revert to independence. When God's trying to use that brokenness to keep us in a posture of dependence, Moses starts to tilt even in this moment when he's calling him out. But he settles back into dependence and God's able to use him. So God actually goes on to say, look, you're going to go do this, but I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and he's not going to let the people go, but that's so I I can set my people free and everybody in Egypt will know that I'm the Lord. So age of 80, Moses and Aaron, 80 and 83, they go, they tell Pharaoh, and if you know the rest of the story, Pharaoh says no. We step into that whole section about the plagues, the 10 plagues. Starts with the, the Nile turning to blood, you got flies and gnats and boils and hail and darkness, and then we reach the biggie, which is the last one, which is the death of the firstborns. We're on the Passover night, when anybody who had blood from the lamb, the Passover lamb over their doorpost, they would be spared. Anyone without it, the firstborn would die. Beautiful imagery and prophetic voice towards Jesus, but it's only by his blood that we have life That the penalty of our sin which is death is already paid So all the Egyptian households that night experienced a death death of the firstborns even death of the firstborn livestock It was a night of weeping and wailing It was so devastating Pharaoh broke Called Moses and Aaron in, and said fine take your people take everything just get out of here See we tend to drift towards comfort We tend not to listen in comfort or discomfort, but we also tend not to listen until something surpasses the current reality. So we tend not to embrace change until the pain of what is, is greater than the pain or cost of the change in front of us. We could say it this way, that whenever the pain of holding on exceeds our fear of letting go, whenever the pain of holding on exceeds our fear of letting go, we embrace our next. We embrace our next. It's true for Pharaoh in this moment. It's true for Moses along that journey. Whenever the the pain of letting go surpasses the fear of letting go, then we grow when we embrace our next. So here's what happens. Exodus 13 starting at verses 17 and 18. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Look, God knows us. He knows that tension of moving towards independence when we experience fear and in our insecurity. He, he knew that. So he creates the space for them to obey. And he, he actually says, so look, God led the people around by the desert road to the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. They were, they were confident. You've got to understand something. God always leads us in a manner we're best positioned to obey. Where we're positioned to listen and obey. We'll often challenge and question the complexity that He allows in our lives, but He knows us. He understands how we work. And we need to be really careful how we respond to the complexity that He allows in our life so it doesn't lead us to choose independence out of fear or out of pride. Because God does not call us, He does not call us to comfort, He calls us to commitment. God doesn't call us to comfort, but to commitment. There's a difference. Israel went out ready to fight. They were committed and all in, but here's what happens. Pharaoh, he he changes his mind, and he gathers an army of chariots, and he heads out after them, and when the Israelites see the Egyptians chasing after them, they freak out. Actually, Scripture says they were terrified, which is fear again, right? Fear leads us to a place of insecurity, and we embrace in the uncertainty that posture of independence. They were afraid, and so they turn around and they, they say to Moses, they, they actually speak very strongly to Moses in chapter 4, starting at verse 11. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians rather than die in the desert. Now, right about here, if you've got a Bible that has footnotes, this will be the footnote where it says, Moses eye-rolled and said, really? And you've got to think about it. Really? Better to stay a slave in oppression than to be in freedom? Now, he didn't actually say really. He goes on to say something way better. Here's what he said. He said, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I love that line. That is a call to dependence, a posture of dependence. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. See, comfort and discomfort lead us to drift. And we can end up in a place, instead of having peace, we have fear. Or instead of having humility, we embrace pride and arrogance. When we're supposed to drive down in a posture of dependence in the midst of the certainty and uncertainty. Look, the whole Israelite nation, they saw all the plagues. They saw all the wonders of God. They were positioned to depend, to trust and obey. But how quickly we forget. And how quickly when fear or pride grip us, we drift. But dependence is a place of trust and stillness. Dependence is a place of trust and stillness. You're still tracking your note guide. That is the reality. When Moses says the Lord of fight for you, you, need only to be still, dependence is a place of trust and stillness. It's there that the Lord shows up and works and moves. Now you may know the rest of the story that, that God works and moves in a cool way. They part the, he parts the Red Sea. They go through and the Egyptians start to follow behind. He, he closes the sea behind them. They all drown. It's an epic moment. And in verse 31 of Exodus chapter 14, here's what he says. This is what it says. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they put their trust in him, dependence, and in Moses, his servant. This was a key moment for the people of God. To live in a posture of dependence. Certainty amidst uncertainty. Now, I gotta be honest with you. For many years, I struggled a bit with God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. Trying to make sense of that. It felt like he just set him up for failure. A bit like he staged the complexity. But I worked through that by just saying, he's God, he gets to decide how to use his power and do whatever he wants to do. But it wasn't until I started to really understand my own weakness as a human, my tendency to drift left and right, And I started to lead people and watch them drift left and right. That I began to understand that that this was not about Pharaoh's heart. This was about Israel's heart. Their willingness to choose dependence over independence. Because when people are surrendered in a posture of dependence, God's able to do incredible things. In fact, it was A.W. Tozer who said this. He said, there's no limit to what God can do through us if we are a yielded and purified people. A yielded and purified people. I don't know what obstacle or hardship is looming in front of you today, but I know that God wants to lead you to overcome it. If you and I, like Moses, would take a step beyond our own ability into places where we demonstrate our dependence on God because he wants you. He wants you. And he's waiting for some of you to risk again with him because of something in the past where you've chosen to back off and take independence out of pride or out of fear. He's waiting for you to risk with him again. again. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we step into that? Well, you've got to know what to look for. You've got to know how to listen and obey. You've got to know how to follow. Now, we, we know that in Exodus 13, that God led the people through a big, cloud of, of, uh, a big pillar of cloud and a big pillar of fire. It says that he went before them in day and night, the pillar of cloud to guide them along their way uh, by night. And a pillar of fire was there for the nighttime to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So God led them by the pillar. By the sign of the pillar, he was able to lead now, as a while back, I, I admitted to you guys that there was a moment in my life where I got distracted and I missed a sign I should have read, and I ended up in a women's restroom in one of the eating establishments here in the Quad Cities. Where I had the embarrassing opportunity to meet a heritage family member named Amritza who was washing her hands at the sink. She greeted me by saying, hello, pastor. <laughs> now, we were able to work that out, but in my defense, in my defense, I actually think part of the problem has to do with the sign itself. You see, on that day, I missed the sign because I was distracted looking at two other guys that were doing something else, and I, and I walked in there. But I, but I think when I see the women's restroom sign, subconsciously, I think I see this reality. Do you see that? It's a cape. It's not a dress. It's a cape. Ladies are like, of course it's a cape. Duh. We've known that all along. Thank you, ladies. It just takes us men a while to get there. Look, sometimes we can miss the sign and misread the things all together, but I share that thing about Maritza. She was gracious, she was kind to me, but I share that because sometimes we can miss what we should see. And I want to share with you today a very simple principle that will position you not to miss what you can see. Three things that will help keep you moving in the direction of God's will and His purpose and plan, in a posture of dependence. Three signs, if you would. No, I'm not talking mystical signs. I'm talking about the more obvious signs that God uses to lead us on the way. And it's really how we sit in a place where we listen and obey. So I want to get really practical for a few moments. So when we think about the will of God, we can think of the will of God in terms of that there's a general will, a universal will that applies to everyone. God says, this is what you should do and it applies to everybody. It'd be things like loving, obeying, not committing murder. Those are general and universal realities to the will of God. They apply to everybody no matter who you are. But then there's the reality that there is his specific will that applies specifically to you. He wants you to do it. He's positioned you to step into that opportunity. It's a moment to pray for a person, to have a conversation, to help somebody, to share the gospel with somebody. It's a, spe- a specific moment where you invest in a very particular way. So there's there's general and there's specific realities to the will of God. But then there is also his permissive will. It's a space where he loves us enough to let us choose. Now, the permissive should always fall under the general and specific, but it's a space where he lets us decide. So the will of God is really more like a channel than a tightrope. It has a clear direction with freedom and opportunity to choose amidst limits. Now, the challenge becomes how do we live in that space where we listen and obey? So here's what happens. Most often, when somebody's trying to figure out the will of God, they look at one of three things, and many people start simply by looking at how they feel. How do I feel about, about that particular thing, that particular reality? Do I feel good or do I feel bad? Does it feel right? Does it feel wrong? Do I feel calm? Do I feel nervous? And if we feel good about it, we think it's His will, but that's really unreliable. The Israelites felt horrible under the oppression of their work, the increased labor, but that was all part of God's plan rolling out and unfolding. So just basing our discernment of the will of God on how we feel lacks clarity and certainty. It leaves us longing for something else. That's why many people turn to what they hear. What they hear. is supposed to be what others around them are saying or even what others around them are doing. And we look around and we talk and have conversations and if we can find somebody to agree with us, we think, well, that's God's will. They agree with us. But listen, we have a hard time agreeing, but we can always find somebody to agree with us, right? You can find somebody to agree with us, correct? Yeah, okay, look, I just did that with you. Do you see what I just did? We can do that. But there's so many voices out there, the cacophony of voices can be overwhelming and confusing. So then that leads many people to simply go to the reality of what we have. And this is the proverbial open or closed door. It either is or it isn't. It's easy or it's hard. But again, that's misleading. When we start to look at what is and the circumstances. That's not, that's not clear because we have an enemy. And every time we chase the will of God, things get more complex. And if we're basing the will of God based on whether it's easy or hard, we're missing it. Jesus said there would be trouble. So here's the thing. We can end up looking for or at the wrong things and miss the will of God altogether. And it's not because these things are inherently wrong. They're not. They just don't go far enough. They don't go deep enough. See, I once once heard somebody teach a sermon about 20 years ago. So it was on a cassette tape. And a cassette tape, boys and girls, it would be something that preceded digital and disk. Never mind, you don't care. It was, a, it, was a, it was a sermon where they talked about paralleling the idea that long time ago, before GPS, riverboat captains would navigate difficult sections of the river using channel markers. there would be poles or pillars or posts out on shore. And there'd be three of them. And they knew they were in the channel if all three of them would line up. If they could see more than one, they knew they were left or right and needed to adjust. And so those three poles became the markers to keep them in the safe channel and moving in the right direction see more than one, you need to move back. And he took and he paralleled that to the channel markers of knowing and doing the will of God, of hearing and obeying. And those channel markers are not feel, hear, and have. They're actually internal, external, and concrete. And you think, Sean, that that sounds the same. And You're just wordsmithing a bit. Nope. Listen, totally different. There are things that can sound exactly the same or be very similar, but have totally different scenario. Let me show you what I mean in this quick commercial. You back. Is this my car? State Farm knows <laughs> that for every one of what? those moments... <laughs> this is ridiculous! There's no, one I, of I, these. Is this my car? What? This is ridiculous. This can't be happening! This can't be happening. Oh, it's happening, sweetheart. Oh, it's happening, sweetheart. Shut up! Shut up! Ah! That's why State Farm is there. What a day. With car insurance for when things go wrong. What a day! But also here with car loans <laughs> to help life go right. State Farm... There you go. Some things can sound exactly the same, but be totally different. And hear, hear, feel, have can feel and sound like internal, external concrete, but they're totally different. And what makes them different is the Holy Spirit. Feel, hear, and have is based on us. Us trying to figure it out. Internal, external concrete is based on the work of the Holy Spirit. In, around, and through us. See, in John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. But then he goes on to say, I will give you an advocate who will help you. It's the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, he says, he will be with you and in you. So when you choose to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit in you, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So you have the Holy Spirit working in you. That's the internal reality. And if you and I are walking with God, we're in prayer, we're in His Word, and we have no overt sin in our life, no rebellion in our life, then what happens to us internally can be the Holy Spirit stirring and preparing us for what He's calling us to. It's a really good indicator under the conditions of no over rebellious sin in our life, listening and postured in a place of dependence before him, our heart rightly related, that internally what's going on is an indication of what God's calling us to by the Holy Spirit. Now, but it's not just the internal, there's the external reality. These would be the Christian influences in our life. Those those who also walk with God. Our Christian spouse, our Christian parents, our mentors, spiritual leaders. When God's working in his Holy Spirit in us, he's also working in others. And we can get confirmation through the external reality of others who walk with God. That's one of the realities. In fact, it's in Proverbs that we can read this verse. It says, Listen to the advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So we end up having the internal reality, we have the external reality, but then there's the concrete reality. And this is whether or not the opportunity is even there. So in the context of whether you should take a job or not, if you don't get offered the job, pretty good indication that God doesn't want you to have that job, at least for now. Tracking? Okay, now listen, these do not function independently, they function interdependently. We want alignment. We want them all to line up like the channel markers to keep us in the safe part of the channel as we continue to follow the will of God. So here's how this begins to work out. If we have this desire or inclination in us, we're rightly related before the Father, we're sitting in a place of dependence, and we have this desire, now we've got the internal channel marker. If we talk to our Christian spouse, we interact with our spiritual leaders, and they too who walk with God, you've got to be really discerning on who you ask about this because if they have overt sin in our life, you can't trust what's happening. But if you, if you know you're talking to people who walk with God, then you have the external. But if that opportunity doesn't come around, then it's probably not the will of God, at least for now. Flip it around. Let's say that opportunity is given. You're offered the job, the, the, the chance is given. Your, your, your family, your friends, your Christian parents all agree with you, but agree with the idea, but you don't have peace. Then you pause. And you wait for God to bring the peace and clarity of what he's asking you to do. See, Whenever we chase one of these things, (laughs) it seems like we're always on task. If you're just looking at one pole, you never really realize you're off left or right. That's why we need all three to line up. This is a great way to position us to stay within His will. Now hear me, this is not a, a magical formula. This is not a one plus two plus three equals the will of God. This is a helpful tool when we live in a posture of dependence to make sure that we're staying within the channel of His will. That we're listening and obeying. Tracking with me? You know, there's some complexity to some of this. When we're interacting with people, we're just dealing with ourselves, But the principle works. It has been impactful in my life many times. My transition from, from the military to law enforcement was internal, external, concrete. My transition from law enforcement to ministry was internal, external, concrete. Even my transition to the Quad Cities was a process of internal, external, concrete, out of a posture of dependence. This whole thing works when we sit in relationship with God in a posture of dependence. And it doesn't matter what you're facing, it can apply to relationships, it can apply to jobs, it can apply to any circumstance in your life, it can even apply to your finances. But the reality is, when we have a cloud, a, a pillar of cloud, or a pillar of fire, we think it's easier to do that whole dependence piece. But it's really not. It, it, we have the Holy Spirit in us when we follow Jesus, so we're positioned to live into His will, and the Holy Spirit's working in, through, and around us if we just know what to look for. When We look for the wrong things, or at the wrong things, we get distracted and we get off task. But it works for relationship. It works for deciding things along the way within His will. But it's ultimately about discerning, and it applies even to finances. So let me just take a moment. I want to have a bit of a family conversation. And if you're part of the Heritage family, you call Heritage Home, I want you to lean in and listen in for a moment. If you're a guest with us, lean back, but still listen in because I want you to hear a heart and what's important to us. I want to say to you, for those of you who have been faithful in giving back to God what is His, that would be the tithe, the first fruits offering back to Him. If you've been faithful in doing that, I want to say thank you because more than 110 people that we know of have made first-time decisions to follow Jesus just through the course of this past summer. That's wonderful and that's awesome. Absolutely. And it's been your faithfulness that has positioned us to be faithful as a church to create those moments where those folks have made those decisions. So thank you for doing that. But if you're someone who has not been living in a posture of faithfulness in the area of your finances, you haven't been giving back to God as was rightfully His, I want to encourage you to take time to actually do that, to get right before Him in this arena. If you're upside down financially, then I encourage you to sign up for Financial Peace University just to get healthy in this arena. Hear my heart. I'm not having this conversation to ask for more money. I'm having this conversation to ask for greater faithfulness. See, there may, may not be something, there may be something you don't understand about who we are and how we function. See, as a church, we have four different funds for us as a church family. They are our vision fund, our missions fund, assistance fund, and general fund. They, they kind of function like buckets. Our vision fund is where we have our strategic and capital investments. It's where we pay our mortgage out of. Our missions fund is where we resource all of our local, regional, international, missional realities. Our assistance fund is how we help folks in the Quad Cities with crisis reality. And our general fund is how we operate on a regular daily basis. Our church year runs from May to April. So we're five months into our church year. And we're behind in a few of these areas. But not all. Like for example... We're 77% ahead in our assistance fund. That's awesome. But at the same time, because these are buckets, those funds function from buckets only, we're behind, for example, in our general fund by about 15%. Now, we've been doing our due diligence as a, as a team to cut, and we've already made cuts back to 10%. But if there is not a change, if that level continues, we're going to have to make further cuts in what we're doing as a church and a church family. So again, hear me. I'm not asking for more money. I'm asking for greater faithfulness. We're doing our due diligence, I want you to do your due diligence. I want you to sit in a process where you talk to the Father, you sit and you internally seek His face, you seek to get confirmation of what He's asking there, you get confirmation from your Christian spouse, and then you step into the opportunity that He's giving. It's internal, external, and concrete. I am asking you to sit back and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Just listen and obey. Because it's the faithfulness of individuals that positions the community to be faithful. And when individuals aren't faithful, it compromises the community's ability to be faithful as a whole. So so I want to invite you to just a season of stepping in and and asking God to show himself, stepping into the internal, external realities from a posture of dependence, say, God, show up. What do you want me to do? What does it look like for me to hear you and obey you? And then just do that. Just talk to him about what he wants and do what he says through internal, external concrete and a posture of dependence. Look, the... The will of God is not defined by circumstance. It's not dependent upon our ability. It's dependent upon our obedience. And we don't obey. There's a ripple. It happened in the life of Moses, and it can happen even here. So I want you just to take some time and talk to the right people and figure out what God wants you to do in relationship to faithfulness, not only in finances, your treasure, but your time and your talent as well. See, one of the things I understand about God's will is... He, is it's the thing that he desires us to follow from a place of love. When we make a decision about following these channel markers out of obligation, that's not what he wants. He wants us to do it out of love and obedience. And here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul said, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. My heart for all of us is that we would know and do the will of God, that we would hear Him and obey Him. We get to know and do the will of God, people. It's not spin and guess. It's not spin and guess. It's listen and obey. It's listen and obey. But here's the deal. I think sometimes we can sit in a posture of waiting when He wants us to be willing. So let me ask you this question for you to process this week. Where are you waiting when you need to be willing In your life, where are you waiting when you need to be willing? Where are you waiting for some greater confirmation? You're waiting for Him to show just a little bit more so that your fear or your pride is overcome and you're willing to trust and risk with Him. Maybe just want you to be willing in that space. Where where has discomfort or or even comfort distracted you from hearing Him? Where where are you waiting when you need to be willing? Because we get to do the will of God. And it's not based on odds and a spinner. It's based on the Holy Spirit working in, around, before, and through us. And there's nothing that compares to living in a posture of dependence where God shows up and does what only he can. Where are you waiting when you really need to be willing? Let me give you one more thing about the will of God. And I think this is where many people get trapped up. If you're looking at two options, you've done your due diligence. You're rightly related before the the Father. You've worked through internal, external, and concrete. And and you're still looking at you got A and B and you're trying to figure it out. And here's the deal. I think God often does have a best. I really do. And let's say in this scenario, his best is A. And you've worked through that scenario, and you're like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And you think think he wants you to do B, and you step into B when he wanted you to do A? Guess what? In his providence, he makes B A. Because he's more concerned about your heart than your action. He's looking at your heart. Don't get paralyzed in the decision. Do your due diligence of internal, external, concrete. Sit in a posture of dependence, but step boldly in obedience. Because if you choose B when he wanted you to do A, he makes B A. Now, let me flip that around for a second. If you choose A with the wrong heart, with a twisted wrong heart in a posture of independence, he is already displeased. So sit at the crossroads and look. (laughs) Ask for the ancient paths. Then step boldly into where you believe God has led you. He will direct you along the way. And if you happen to step with the right heart in the wrong direction, he'll work in the manner to lead that back into what he wants. He works all things for the good of those who love him. That's a hard issue. Are you tracking me with this? Don't get paralyzed in the decision making. This is about relationship. This is about pursuit of Him. It is about dependence. It's not about knowledge and understanding and checking blocks. It is about knowing and chasing Him in a manner where you can chase Him in any moment, in any conversation, every place you go. Because He's got a purpose and a plan for you and He wants it to be impactful. He doesn't call us to comfort. And He wants us to be willing, not sitting and waiting. And I know He has more for us as a church. So let's be faithful. And let's risk in obedience because the best is yet to come. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the reality that you have loved us from the beginning of all time. God, even when we have drifted left and right, even when we have gone rogue and been independent out of pride or independent in our own fear and insecurity. You have loved us and beckoned us back to you. You want us to sit in a place of, of dependence. And, and sometimes we drift outside of your will, but you're a gracious God. And, and just like you're gracious with Moses, you teach and you reteach and you position us to live in a place of dependence so you can do what you want for your glory in and through us. This is about you, not us. This is about your glory. So Father, I pray as my friends spend a little bit of time reflecting on where and They're waiting rather than willing. Where where you're calling them to step in obedience. What faithfulness looks like to them in every area of their life. Talk, Lord. Show up. Reveal more of who you are. So that we can step boldly in obedience from a posture of dependence. Where we trust. Demonstrate that love. So Jesus, as we step back into worship through song. May you continue to receive worship from our hearts as we seek your face. As we seek to discern more than decide as we seek to trust and obey so that you can do what only you can do in every area of our life for your glory i love you i pray these things in jesus name and everybody said amen